What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 149 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com, and you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then dive into an in-depth review of The End of Meat, a brand new documentary promising to examine the social, environmental, and ethical ramifications of a world without animal exploitation. Paul, I feel like I say this every time, but I am so excited to talk about this movie with you <laughs> because I think this movie is actually different than the the I would say 80% of the films we review are very much very samey, have just sort of congealed into this mass of the same faces talking over and over and mm-hmm, over again. Mm-hmm. And this one is different. It and is different. I am so curious to know what you think of this because I got I have <laughs> some thoughts. Oh, I got some thoughts too. But before we get into those thoughts, we got a few things to take care of. Andy, what's this? What's this bit of announcement you got to make? Paul, I have to admit that I I recorded uh, an episode of a podcast without you. Gasp! <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually going to be on this week's episode of Red Radio now. That's a name that might be familiar to people that have been listening to Vegan Podcast for quite a while, certainly well before our our humble little podcast started. And Red Radio is a podcast. It was actually the first vegan podcast that I ever truly really got into where I would kind of listen to every single episode. And uh, I was actually a guest on that a few times way back in the day, but uh, Aaron Red, the host, she she put it to bed for a while, and it has recently experienced a bit of a rebirth. And so there's just a couple of episodes in, and I am on the episode that came out this past Sunday. So if you if you go to iTunes or wherever you find your podcast, look up Red Radio Vegan Banter with a Bite, and we had a we had a little conversation about fat shaming in the community, but. We covered a lot of stuff that goes beyond the recent panel recording that we that we had, and we sort of worked through a lot of of Red's shit with these with these issues because she is someone who has lost a lot of weight. She works in the wellness industry, so she has her own own views on things and her own sort of baggage that comes with that. So it was a really interesting conversation, and people can go check that out if they so desire. That's awesome, Andy. I gotta check that out too. One one of these days you're going to be like, I have an announcement to make. I was on an episode of Serial last week without Paul. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> Dang it, Andy. I'm just reading their MailChimp advertisement <laughs> or something. All right. So let's move on to the food, Andy. You hanging out in New York? You know, I spent a little time in New York this week. And I made a trip to a place that I've mentioned a few times on the show before. But I just love them so much. And I experienced something new from them, so I'm giving it a bit of a plug here. And I returned to Orchard Grocer, which is just th- this wonderful, 
we must have talked about them very recently because we were talking about how they're an all vegan grocery store, more of like a convenience store type size. And they have a little deli in the back. You get sandwiches. That thing they sell has palm oil. All the chocolate's verified by Food and Power Project, et cetera, et cetera. And I was in there and I was offered some of their soft serve. And I was like, eh, no, I'm trying to get back on the sugar right now. And then I, then I remembered they switched from what they had been using before to now they're using Modern Love has their Ooh. own soft serve recipe. That's what they are using now. And I got a vanilla blueberry swirl and Paul. <laughs> I mean, Modern Love has never let me down. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so already I knew this was going to be good, but this was so good. I was like, just give me like half what you normally give me. Give me like, I don't want the whole thing. I regret not getting the whole thing. It was, <laughs> it's truly among the best vegan soft serve that I've ever had. If, if not the best, it is, it is really good and perfect on these sweltering hot summer days. So Orchard Grocer doing it up. It's funny, Andy, because like I've only, I've been to Modern Love, I don't know, two times, I think. And I've had good experiences both times. The more people I talk to, I feel like a lot of people aren't into modern love. And I don't I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't get the hate. Whose ass do I gotta kick? <laughs> but can't we just be decent? <laughs> Seriously. Oh, that's so weird. I I've never met anyone that's had a bad experience there. I, maybe I've met people that have had okay dishes, and certainly some are better than others, but overall they're I might say they're my favorite place to eat in New York City. Ooh. They're certainly my favorite higher end, you know, they're not the highest of ends, but they're on the they're on that scale. They're on, they're towards that end of the spectrum. They're certainly my favorite in that category in New York City for sure. All right, all right. Andy, I've been super duper busy with school stuff, so I've just been literally eating a puck of tofurkey deli slices every single day. Nothing nothing super exciting, making a lot of smoothies, but I'm jealous of your food adventures, as always. Well, I guess with that, then let's just move right on into the news. Paul, you know, we are so often a very dark and downtrodden podcast with a lot of the things that we talk about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some some may say perhaps depressing at times, (laughs) but every now and then there is just a glimmer of hope and a nice news story. And maybe if we don't even have the most interesting things to say about it, we feel the need to bring it to people and drop it on their doorsteps so that they'll have a little bit of hope in their lives. So hit us with this first news story. And Andy, this glimmer of hope is coming from the West Coast because California is is doing it up. Uh, this first one from an article from People.com from September 5th, California is banning cosmetic animal testing. Here's what you need to know. And I'm going to read a little bit from that. California is taking a major stand against beauty brands who test on animals. In a unanimous vote, the California State Assembly passed Bill SB 1249, which will make it illegal to sell products for makeup to deodorant that have been or include ingredients that have been tested on animals. If signed into law by Governor Jerry Brown, the change will go into place on January 1st, 2020 and would apply to all brands currently selling in California, as well as others that enter the market. The bill, which was introduced by California Senator Kathleen Galgiani, sorry, Kathleen, states, notwithstanding any other law, it is unlawful for a manufacturer to import for profit, sell, 
or offer for sale in this state any cosmetic if the cosmetic was developed or manufactured using an animal test that was conducted or contracted by the manufacturer or any supplier of the manufacturer on or after January 1st, 2020. That was a a long sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I feel like I just said sorry, Kathleen, because... I mispronounced, probably mispronounced your last name, but I feel like it's it's so common that we're saying sorry that I should probably, for someone that hasn't listened to the show, I can't just say so, sorry, 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 person. <laughs> should have prefaced that by saying probably pronounce that name wrong. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's almost like you're saying sorry about your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone's sort of touting this like it's the most amazing news. I did not realize that it had not actually been signed into law yet, so... I guess I'm assuming people are predicting that it will get signed into law. And if that is the case, hell yeah, California. Yeah. Governor Jerry Brown. If if only we still used outro music, we could use that Dead Kennedy song. Oh, I was thinking we could just use that Justin Bieber sorry song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is interesting because I'm wondering how this will affect interstate commerce. Like, is this the type of thing that... For I'd imagine California is a pretty huge market for makeup, given that there's so many people there, and also that it is, at, you know, a, a, the land of film and television and all of these things. So I'm wondering if that means that companies that want to sell there, if they'll have to change their practices, and then they'll go, well, if we don't need to do it for California, then why make two separate things? And like, would it have further reaching than just California? We've seen seen those laws that were like passed in Massachusetts that would sort of force other people to to adopt like cage-free practices for instance to sell in Massachusetts even if they're not manufacturing in Massachusetts. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see what sort of long-range ramifications this has. Yeah, and like I feel like 2020 is in my opinion, like I'm I'm okay with that date, January 1st, 2020. So like the very first day of 2020, because I feel like, you know, sometimes these sorts of laws get passed and then it's like, oh, and the, the animal agricultural facility will have 10 years to phase out these things or something like that. And it's this super like, oh, it's so far away that something else is probably going to be passed for better or for worse before that even comes to fruition. So 2020, January 1st, 2020 is not, you know, it's not that far away. So that's, so they got to make changes relatively quickly, I think, which is cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Paul, I I like how our news segments have, have running themes throughout them for the last couple of episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, this, this, and today's theme is definitely California doing it up because this second article from vegnews.com is titled California Assembly Passes Law to Require Vegan Meals in Schools and Hospitals. And this is actually from today, September 6th. The California State Assembly voted 69 to 9 to pass SB 1138, which will require prisons, hospitals, nursing homes, and other state-operated facilities to serve at least one plant-based meal option. The vote follows the state Senate's unanimous decision to pass the bill in June. When I go to lunch, I can choose food that meets my health, ethical, or diet choices, but people in a hospital bed or prison often can't, California State Senator Nancy Skinner said. My bill makes sure those who can't prepare or buy their own meals have access to a plant-based meal. 
Skinner authored SB 1138 following a June 2017 resolution by the American Medical Association that calls upon hospitals in the, in the United States to improve the health of patients, staff, and visitors by providing plant-based meals. The American College of Cardiology made similar recommendations based on evidence that plant-based foods can help to prevent chronic heart problems. SB 1138 will now move to California Governor Jerry Brown's desk to be signed into law. He's got a lot of vegan <laughs> stuff to sign this week. Yeah, let's hope he's feeling in a vegan mood this week. <laughs> I feel like I read somewhere that it seemed like it was going to get passed, though. Like, it seemed like he was going to sign them. Yeah, it, I mean, it'd be hard to imagine that in a state like California that this wouldn't get passed, but yeah, you never know. You never know what vested interests have put money into whoever's pockets to make sure certain, certain things do or do not get passed. But yeah, I remember, I remember hearing about this back in June of 2017. I think we may have even covered this a little bit on the show. So it's, it's great to see that it actually has come to fruition and it's very close to passing. And I think it's nice to see California leading the way. Yeah, hopefully this will get the ball rolling for for other states to follow. Yeah, very cool. Well, what a Paul, what a nice collection of positive news <laughs> stories. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. So for our, our last little bit of news, this is something that we we promised we would talk about on the last episode when we ran it a little bit over time. So we we bumped it to today. So here we are. We're doing it up. Doing it up, Paul. That's a phrase that I feel like has been said more in today's episode than in the entire history of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a lot of people, a lot of people send us this article, and I'm sure there's a million debunkings out about it at this point, but we're going to throw our hat into the ring. This is coming to us from The Guardian, and the the headline of this article slash essay is, I guess you'd call it an opinion piece, is... (laughs) If you want to save the world, veganism isn't the answer. Wait, did you just say isn't the answer, Andy? It, Paul, it is not. Oh, no. Oh, it no. certainly is not. We've been doing the wrong <laughs> podcast for three years. So let me just read a little bit about this. We're not, you know, we, we, we sort of were wondering, should we do like a whole main discussion debunking this? And I, I just feel like that's probably, there are other more capable voices to do that from a scientific angle. So we're just going to sort of give our overall opinion on this particular approach that this essay is taking. But uh, the article basically starts off and, and talks a lot about the the rising popularity of veganism, something it has in, in common with today's film, Paul. <laughs> And then it goes on to say, but calls for us all to switch entirely to plant-based foods ignore one of the most powerful tools we have to mitigate these ills, grazing and browsing animals. Rather than being seduced by exhortations to eat more products made from industrial-grown soy, maize, and grains, we should be encouraging sustainable forms of meat and dairy production based on traditional rotational systems, permanent pasture, and conservation grazing. We should, at the very least, question the ethics of driving up demands for crops that require high inputs of fertilizer, fungicides, or is it fungicides, pesticides, and herbicides, while demonizing sustainable forms of livestock farming that can restore soils and biodiversity and sequester carbon. And then... It goes into a lot of details about about why they think the author thinks that that is the way to go and then concludes with this. There's no question we should all be eating far less meat and calls for an end to high carbon, polluting, unethical and intensive forms of grain fed meat production are commendable. 
But if your concerns as a vegan are the environment, animal welfare, and your own health, then it's no longer possible to pretend that these are all met simply by giving up meat and dairy. Counterintuitive as it may seem, adding the occasional organic pasture-fed steak to your diet could be the right way to square the circle. Paul, we've had at least one full-length discussion, if not more, about essays of this nature, Mm -hmm. which is essentially sort of under the, the category of veganism is not enough, that it's like commendable, we should all be eating less meat, but if we truly care, then vegans should actually start eating these pasture-raised animals. And so, like I said, we don't need to really go into the, the the science of all that stuff, but I'm just curious, what are your overall thoughts on this essay? Yeah, I feel like it's it's maybe not even veganism is not enough as much as it is like veganism will only get you so far, but there's a, a different approach that you need to take, one that's like this author says, counterintuitive if you actually want to meet these these goals that you have. So again, as Andy pointed out, maybe, I don't remember if you said this, but we're not experts on this, so we can't like necessarily go in and say, oh, well, actually this crop requires this much carbon emissions and this cow requires this much blah, blah, blah. But what I will say is that the reason that like the, the, the general idea of why i disagree with this author is because when they say oh if you really want to if your concerns as a vegan are really the environment and animal welfare it's like yes those are my concerns and i want to work on a solution to these legitimate problems that this person is bringing up but within a vegan ethic and and so instead of saying like oh well this is the way things are so let's improve the way things are I do believe that we can change the system and maybe that change is not perfect as like as I'm putting it out there right now like if if the if everyone turned vegan and and all the corporations still ran the same way that they would it's like we'd still have all these issues so it's like yes we do still need to work on those things but we can do those in a vegan system so I guess I don't know I I just feel like it's it's like saying here's the system we have which involves exploiting animals and what this author is saying is like oh but we can work on that system and improve that system so that it's more sustainable but this author's not saying oh but we can't improve the vegan system which seems odd to me you know it's like it's like they're putting forward that there's one way to do veganism whereas they're also on the same side saying but we can change the way that we're we're exploiting animals which seems a little contradictory doesn't it yeah yeah i i think one could certainly read it that way and you know well the the film that we're about to review actually does sort of dive into some of these issues talking about the land use specifically so I guess the one sort of practical concern about this that I would bring up is just the the this idea that if you're going vegan that means putting more resources into these these grain production systems of agriculture this industrial agriculture when in fact if everyone did go vegan it would mean we would actually be producing less or or a similar amount like it wouldn't everyone going vegan wouldn't increase the amount of these grains that need to be grown and so it feels like the author is kind of missing the point there but for me where i kind of get hung up on 
this whole article is that I think that we've had some uncomfortable discussions on the show in the past where I think, at least for me, I kind of came to the conclusion that I think that it's important for us as vegans to recognize that on very small or maybe even like local level, it would be possible, perhaps, perhaps there is some system that involves less animal death and is more friendly to animals that does involve directly eating animals in some way. And I'm not saying that is necessarily the case, but I think that, you know, there are a lot of people that consume animals that probably have much less of an impact than the average mainstream vegan that goes to Walmart and purchases a package of Gardein as much as we love Gardein, right? <laughs> like, like I, I, I think that as vegans, as a, as like a group, as a whole, we're, you know, we tend to like to feel really good about our decisions and we tend to want to feel I've gone vegan and now that's the best thing I can do for the environment. And yeah, I mean, it would be cool to drive a Prius and use better light bulbs and all that stuff, but it's, a, it's okay because I'm vegan. So I don't really need to think about those other things. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice. We do our, the animals that, whose land is being encroached upon a disservice when we think that vegan is the end of the line. So so I think that it's important for us to acknowledge that, but then I also just keep coming back to what is the global ethic that we can preach? What is the global food system that we can use to feed lots of people, literally billions of people? Some might say that's a lot of people, Paul. <laughs> and and it just it seems like what is being advocated for in this article is not something that could feed the global masses. So I think that's one thing. And then the other aspect of this article is that I always feel like these articles that are always kind of positioned as, I don't even, I feel like this one isn't really even necessarily antagonistic towards vegans, but it, it does feel like it's still kind of like a gotcha thing. Like it, it's like, well, if you really care, you would do this. And and maybe this author does have some good points. Maybe this author does is onto something in certain practical aspects of this, but why focus your energy on the 2% of the population that are the vegans or the vegetarians who are already doing so much good and significantly more than the average non-vegan? And why not focus your efforts on getting the non-vegans to try and adopt this system? You know, like it feels like that's not the aim of this article. The aim of this article is to find the flaws in veganism. And so I feel like the average non-vegan who is not going to become a homesteader that does these rotational grazed crop land systems or whatever it might be, it feels like they read this article and they go, okay, I don't have to go vegan because that's not the 100% perfect solution to everything. So I feel like it, it does a disservice. Like the article pays a little lip service. Like, yeah, it's, it, of course we should all eat, le eat less meat. But I think that most people just see this and they'll go, I'm off the hook. I don't have to go vegan because it's not a perfect system. Yes, I agree. And I think that what the author should include to make their argument more legitimate is they should do the calculation like, like uh cowspiracy does where they, where they kind of show, they use a diagram, I believe, and they show like how much land use is needed. If, if we wanted to sustain how much meat we eat in the U S like, but we wanted to do that with, you know, free range, 
cows, for instance, how much land use would be. And then what I want this author to do is to, to do a calculation and say, okay, here's what I'm proposing people do. People eat or like, or whatever, grass fed, grain fed, grass fed cows, blah, 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 free range. But then I want them to say, and this, my, my solution will work if everyone only eats 10 hamburgers a year or something like that. Because I feel like, like you were saying, Andy, it's more so just pointing out the flaws in veganism and barely kind of, it, they say, yes, we need to reduce the amount of meat that we eat, but that's such like an arbitrary thing idea just saying like yes reduce and and then the world will be saved like if this person wants to put out this because because most of these articles aren't even going and i give this author credit like most of them aren't going as in depth in the issues like talking about oh the reason that this is such an issue is because at the global scale this is why this is an issue it's not sustainable and that's good we should be talking about those things but in doing so i feel like then the author should then also say, and now here's my here's my proposition for the sustainable global scale model. Like we got to eat free range, and we can only eat, and that means we have to give up like the majority of meat, and we can only eat ten pounds of meat a year, or something like that. Because I I truly believe that if if we really as a world, and even just as in the U.S. for instance, wanted to adopt like a only free range meat production it would be like we people would eat yeah like 10 hamburgers a year or something like that and that would be it yeah yeah i i feel like there could have been more done in this article to to let the the non-vegan who's who's reading it because they just want to be like ha yeah take that vegans to make sure they don't feel like they are let off the hook to be like hey you that's eating, you know, that's eating meat at every meal or nearly every meal like you you this is this isn't meant to be a gotcha to vegans. This is meant to be a, a, I'm trying to find a solution for everyone, including those of us who do think it's okay to consume animals. And so I don't know, it just, I just worry that pieces like this get shared by non-vegans just to be like, well, guess we don't have to do anything. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I completely agree with that, Andy. All right. We are in violent agreement, Paul. I agree with you. (laughs) All right. So, Paul, that brings us to our movie review. But before we do that, we got a couple of amazing, amazing listeners to thank. And these are people that have decided to support our podcast at the rate of a dollar or more per month. And in doing so, they get access to our bonus feed, which has about nine bonus episodes in it right now. People get early access. People get merch, all that good stuff, depending on what level you pledge at. And we are we are due for another bonus episode. So we'll have to record that in the, the coming week or so and, and, mm-hmm. and get that out for you. But... Uh, yeah, we're always we're always pumping them out, plus a couple other little fun bonus things. So uh, anyway, thank you. Huge thank you to Michael T. Joe K. Rosendo G. Emmanuel M. Who, I should point out, has already donated in person to the podcast before. That's so, right. That's right. So thank you. Thank you very much, Emmanuel. Oh, thank you. And also to Libby A. Thank you. Yeah, so thank you, everyone. Once again, how many times can we th- say thank you in this section, Paul? I'm thank not you, sure. Thank but you, thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. If you listening want to get in on that action, you just have to head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo, and that'll give you a couple options. You can find our Patreon. You can do a one-time donation with PayPal, or there's also a link to our online store where you can get a shirt and sticker are up there right now. So 
myriad of ways to support the podcast. And, uh, you know, of course, feel no pressure to donate or, or throw any money our way if it'll incur some sort of hardship on yourself. We certainly, we all know that our budgets are tight, but if you can't throw money our way, don't want to throw money our way, but you do want to help the podcast in some way, leaving iTunes reviews, sharing their favorite episodes with your friends, all of those things, you know, that's how we grow. We've never put any money into advertising. It's all just been a very word of mouth, grassroots kind of growth for us. So any of that stuff helps us out immensely as well. All right, Andy, let's move on into the main discussion, which is our review of the film, The End of Meat. We had light bulb moment when yeah. we were cooking bacon on the stove and Esther's five pounds at our feet waiting for something to fall off of the stove. And I just was like, oh my gosh, like I just, it just happened. It was like this, this. bulb, it, like it just, it was, it was a crazy moment. And we never ate meat after that point. One of the worst practices ever developed on the planet was this consumption of other animals for food and using them for resources. These things happen behind walls in these dark, horrible, stinky places where no one's allowed to enter. I think people would not participate in violence against these animals if they saw the animals firsthand. I have no doubt about it. All right. So that was from the trailer of The End of Meat. And uh, Paul, I don't think we need to have a spoiler-free, spoiler-full section because there's not really much to spoil. So uh, this film just came out on September 4th and became available on the internet via iTunes and Amazon Prime and uh, I'm sure Google Play and all, all those video streaming services. That's how we both watched it. So you can definitely go give it a watch and then come back to the episode and join us for the discussion. But for those that want to venture on forward, the plot synopsis from IMDb is... The End of Meat is a feature documentary that explores the idea of a post-meat world. It will include interviews with philosophers, scientists, artists, and activists who offer their insight and progressive ideas about the role of animals in our society. And so this was by filmmaker Mark Perschel, I think we're going to... Sorry, Mark. Sorry, sorry Mark. Mark. <laughs> Preemptive, sorry. And, uh, you know, we actually have reviewed a previous film that Mark made, Live and Let Live, which is one of those films that, as mentioned at the beginning of the episode, just sort of has kind of blended in with all these other documentaries <laughs> that we have watched. And I did not go back and listen to that review to to be refreshed on it. But I, I remember feeling kind of lukewarm on it. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. It was just sort of middle of the road for me. But I was definitely really curious to see what Mark was going to do next. And so, Paul, mm-hmm. before before we get down to the nitty gritty, <laughs> th- this is a film that is promising to do something different than the average Why Go Vegan documentary and explore this question of what 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 would the world look like if there was no more meat production and no more animal exploitation. So my question to you is, what are your general thoughts? How well do you think it explored that idea? Well, at the beginning of the movie, when they kind of posit that, I was like, oh, how are they going to go into this? Because I think what they did not do, which is what I was like, are they going to maybe do this? Which is say, like, set up all these different scenarios and be like, this is what this is like, and this is what this is like, and maybe have some dramatizations or something like that, where it's like, this is <laughs> this is only a dramatization of what the world would look like if no more meat existed. And 
that's not what they did. And I think that that idea was kind of the loose, I would say the loose thread that, that ran throughout the movie that tied the whole movie together because they did certainly talk to specific people that did say things like, like what it would be like if, if we didn't view animals as commodities. So it's like, they did touch upon it, but it was not, I would say, don't go into it expecting that to be this big, like, like a scenario movie, if that makes sense. I just made up a genre maybe, but like a, a black mirror episode, but the the twist on society is that meat is no longer available to anybody. Yeah. So, so, okay. I'll say this. Don't expect this to be carnage because that's kind of what, what carnage did. And Ooh, I had not thought about that at all, Paul, but um, yeah, carnage certainly, I, I think I'll say more about this later. I think carnage fulfilled the promise of, of the end of meat much better than the end of meat did. Now that you bring it up. Yes, I will say yes. However, I like for, because that was not what this movie was like doing. It was not a fictitious thing. I think that what I, Andy, I'm going to say it. I really enjoyed this movie. Really wow. liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so rare. So rare to get an upfront enjoyment of film statement from Paul Steller. <laughs> I enjoyed it. And I think it, even though it did not do that thing that Carnage did, it didn't create these, like a fictional scenario. I think that it was, it was still different than a lot of the movies. It had a lot of different voices like it was not the same people that we see in every single movie and i appreciated that and yeah i i think that they they took a lot of different angles they got a lot of different perspectives and i'll say this and you might disagree with me on this i feel like the movie allowed itself that the filmmaker allowed the movie to explore slightly different perspectives on veganism and the movement and what people are trying to do and i did not think that it did it in a way that some of these other movies because there's been critiques in other movies that have been like oh i I was confused as to why they included this person saying this thing which seems to contradict this other thing like that's a, a a frequent criticism of other movies is i feel like you know they have contradictory talking heads but in this one I feel like the way that some of the people presented different ideas, I was like, okay, I get this. Like, this is what this person is doing and they're coming from this perspective and I get their perspective. It's like, I appreciate what they're trying to do. And then ha- now here's this other person that's doing this other thing, this different thing. And I appreciate what they're trying to do. So I don't know. I thought that that was cool. And I thought that that's something that I would criticize in a lot of other movies, but I thought end of meat did it well. Yeah, this this film is really interesting, and I still don't know exactly how I feel about it, but I certainly overall enjoyed the experience. Um, one, I thought it was shot beautifully. I, I really did enjoy the cinematography. I, I really just liked the overall look of the film. I thought it was, for the most part, very engaging. There was There was no, like, laughable moments in this whole film. Like, it just <laughs> felt very compact and together and from a from like a production standpoint a very well realized vision of what this film what the what the director wanted this film to be and yeah it i i feel like 
it does not fulfill the promise of the title in many regards. And that's kind of a bummer to me because I feel like we have just reviewed so many films that say, this is what happens to animals. This is why you should go vegan. This is how you can still get your protein, etc." And so I feel the film wasted too much time trying to also do that. And I wish that the film would trust the viewer enough to the point where they say, we know you've seen a dozen of these. We know that there's 20 other documentaries out there that, that do this job. So we're not going to try to do this job We're we are assuming that you're coming to this film sort of already aware of the issues and understanding why some people would want this, this world without meat or any sort of animals as commodities, and then just explore that. And I didn't necessarily need what you were suggesting, Paul, this sort of these, this, this fictionalized version of all these different scenarios, you know, certainly that could make for a really interesting sci-fi series. Like what if there's like a black mirror series and every episode was a different version of what society without animal commodification (laughs) would look like. I would watch that. I think that would be interesting, but it, you know, I, I just, I guess I just wish there was more of, a really thorough through line to this film that was exploring that, that was, there's basically like an hour and a half long version of people saying, but what if everyone went vegan overnight? What about the animals? What about the economy? What about, you know, all of these things. And it addressed that in a number of ways, sort of, but it wasn't as thorough as I wanted it to be. With that said though, I did appreciate a ton about the content of this film and yeah, more than just sort of this very thorough road mapped out exploration of the, the premise that's promised by the title. It was more sort of this like breezy flyover where you're just sort of cruising through a number of different things that are happening in the animal rights movement, in the plant-based food sector, in the farm sanctuary movement, and uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm big on the roadmaps, Paul. <laughs> and I felt like it had a loose roadmap, but I think that for something that was trying to be a few different things at once, I don't think it picked the best route to get there. But I certainly found a lot of it to be engaging. I think you know they had that little section with Joanne MacArthur, and and Joanne talks about how storytelling is really important. And that's why so many people that come to her presentations are really engaged because she's not listing off a bunch of statistics and instead she's really telling stories. And I found that this film for the most part utilized those techniques. There was some grass, there was some charts, there was some, you know, visualizations of rainforest being destroyed or being restored. But for the most part, it was just sort of telling the stories of these people that went vegan and did something notable or of these animals. And I did find that to be an engaging form of filmmaking an engaging form of storytelling. But I also was sort of left wondering the the question we always ask, which was who is this for? Like who, 
who at what point in what journey sees this film and decides to go vegan? Is that the goal of the film? Is the goal of the film to help animal rights activists and already existing vegans to to visualize this world as like something to work towards? I'm not entirely sure I have any real intuition into that. And so I think it's all the, these these little things are the things that prevent me from being head over heels for this film, even though there was much to like. And as you said, plenty of new faces. Now I'm sure a lot of that's because it was a lot largely set in Germany, but it was also it was nice to not see all of the usual faces. Now, of course, there's Michael Clapper, there's Gene Bauer, there's um, Jenny Brown. You know, there's there's some faces we've seen before, but for the most part, it was nice to see a lot of f- fresh faces in this film. Even even if it was not necessarily the most diverse film, I, it was nice to see a lot of people with perspectives that I had not previously seen depicted in one of these documentaries. You know, it's... <laughs> you you said oh there wasn't any laughable moments andy there was one laughable moment for me and that was when michael clapper said oh and we can turn the genes on and off and i was like oh they couldn't get caldwell esselstein for this one <laughs> <laughs> that's when that's when the caldwell esselstein <laughs> no no it's t-poc it's t-poc that says that is it uh are you sure yeah, yeah but turn- that's when t-poc just like breaks a metal chair over his back and like pushes <laughs> yeah. him out of the frame <laughs> but no, Andy, I was so surprised. Like you were talking about the cinematography and how everything was filmed. I was very surprised when at the end of the movie, they were like, oh, thanks to everyone that made this possible as like that supported the Indiegogo campaign. And I was like, oh, my God, this was like a crowdfunded movie. This this guy like flew across the world and was getting these like really, really good shots. And I was like, that's pretty good for a movie that's probably on a pretty tight budget. Yeah, you know, I usually back almost every vegan documentary that I see that comes out on on Indiegogo or Kickstarter, and for some reason I did not back this one. So I don't know if I, uh, I don't know what, it, but it, I, clearly it was successful. And I'm not surprised that the cinematography was great because it was done by Jeff Worth, who is uh, just a really amazing. Uh, videographer, I don't know, cinematographer, whatever, <laughs> whatever the title is, but everything he does is is really fantastic. He actually did a promo video for the Ten Billion Lives tour many, many years ago, and he he spent some time on Sea Shepherds, crewed for Whale Wars, and all that stuff. So he does he does great work. So that was no surprise. And and Andy, I will say this: so the film was just released in the U.S., but I believe it was released in Germany a year ago, but in 2017 in September. But even with that said, I felt like you said, who is this movie for? I feel like it might be for in, in some way, in this way for vegans, because for me, I was like, even though this is already a year old, I was like, wow, there's all this cool stuff going on that I did not know was going on. And it was almost like, what was the, what was it? Was it plant-based news? Who put out that like 2000s end of the year, 2017, movie or something like that that was supposed to be like everything that had happened in veganism in 2017 yeah plant-based news put that yeah. out vegan vegan 2017 vegan 2018 etc that whole series yeah like this this almost felt to me part of it felt to me like oh it's it's just bouncing around the world and being like this is what's happening in germany this is what's happening in canada this is what's happening in india it's like all these different it, it gave me like a nice insight into what was going on and a lot of stuff that i did not know was going on 
So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed that relatively final capper where they're exploring the clean meat. Then they're they're exploring this company I had never heard of called Real Vegan Cheese. And Mm -hmm. I thought that whatever that the the head of or employee or whatever had to say was like really interesting about the open sourcing and sort of just providing this for the world because they want the world to have it and not just one dairy corporation. And I, I don't know. I thought it was really... I, I learned a lot in that section about a company that I had never heard of before. Andy, did you watch the X-Files? Yes. You know the lone gunman, those three uh-huh. guys? When they said, when they introduced Real Vegan Cheese, they were like, a group of biohackers trying to engineer cheese. <laughs> and then it just throws, shows these three dudes, and I was like, they look exactly like those guys. They don't look, ex- <laughs> like, they don't actually look like it, but they kind of, like, fit. I feel like they, they could have been, like... They could have, those three people could have auditioned for that role and be like, yep, that makes sense. That's them in there. Biohackers. <laughs> Would have been wonderful to see them in there. And then David Duchovny just pops up and goes, what are frogs? And then you hear the X-File theme and the film ends after 20 minutes. <laughs> but actually, you know what, Andy, we've been like bouncing around. Let's just, let's just dive into a specific aspect. And can we talk about seaweed bacon? Oh, Andy, I have I have a tab up open right now that's just what is it called? Dolce, Dolce, Dolce. seaweed, D U L C E. And I'm I I opened that up immediately because while I was watching the movie, I was like, I need to figure out where to get this afterwards. I I mean, I feel like Dulce flakes are a thing that I've seen in ingredients for recipes for a very very long time. I remember the hype around the seaweed bacon a year or two ago, or however long it was. And I just really wanted in this film to to show someone eating the seaweed bacon and going, this doesn't taste like bacon at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, does it taste like bacon or does it just taste like bacon sort of because it's fried? Yeah, yeah, because it's like a crispy stick of something. Yeah, but, but I'm curious to try it. Okay, Paul, I derailed us. That's right. Let's what talk were you going to say? Let's talk about cultured meat. That was the, that was the last, the, chronologically, the last thing they talked about, but. I have a lot of things to say about their cultured meat section. Interesting, because so, I have almost nothing to say about it. So, yeah, let's do this. Let's work backwards through this film. Why yes, not? Let's. So, first of all, I thought it was cool because, you know, it, again, this felt like a like a news thing. Like, this is a culmination of what people are doing because it bounced around to a bunch of different companies like Real Vegan Cheese. Like, there was another one, New Harvest, that's trying to get, like, bio meats. It's like a startup group. But they focused a lot on this one person that I... Oh, I forget who it was, but it it must have been one of the first people that, like, actually introduced cultured meat into the world because there was, like, a big big to-do about it, and they interviewed the guy a bunch of times. But... But... They they talk about or he specifically talks about how like they need to keep going back to the cows to get more cells. And he admits like, oh, yeah, like if I think I don't know, he even says like he's like, yeah, I don't really care about that. It's like clearly this person is not vegan. Yeah, period. Clearly this person is not vegan. But something really interesting that he did say was that he was like, I know that what I'm doing with these cult, with the culture meats, I know that it will never be as energy efficient as a vegan or vegetarian diet. So if vegans and vegetarians start eating my products, that's the opposite of what I want to happen. And I thought that that was very uh, like a super interesting perspective that I had never 
you know, I had never thought about that before. Like this is because we talk about this, Andy, we talk about like cultured meat and the impossible burger and the beyond burger. We're always saying like, oh, this is for meat eaters. These things are for people that eat meat. We always, we say that, you know, we're saying that's the purpose of it. And then we still go and eat them. Love, 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 love that beyond burger. And now the beyond sausage, but this is like someone that is creating those things saying like, no, this is this is not for you. So like I don't want you to eat these things because that's the opposite of what our goal is. So I don't know. I found that very interesting. No, I I found that to be truly fascinating and I think that maybe some things have evolved since that interview happened, but it feels like some of the points that he was bringing up have been refuted. Like we're th- I'm thinking about the just formerly Hampton Creek and their whole clean meat promise of we can just get a feather off of the floor from a chicken and use that to make chicken flesh for people to eat. Yeah. And part of me is like, is that just, just, I hate that they changed their name. I'm just, I just want to keep calling them Hampton Creek. Is that just, is just? that just the just company over promising as they seem to have done several times in the past to get people really excited about their project over other people's clean meat, which might use the fetal bovine growth serum or whatever. And also I I feel like that's one of the things that people always tout about the clean meat is it'll have drastically lower environmental impact because they're just, you could just grow them in vats. You could, you could have such little footprint like land use footprint because you could just grow them in these vats in like a skyscraper and you wouldn't have to take up tons of land and, and I don't know what do they have to grow that the yeast that feeds this process, like whatever it is, I feel like I keep seeing people saying that it would be significantly less environmentally damaging. And I guess, I don't know. I feel like I've seen people say that it would be even less than eating plants, but maybe that's just something I've made up in my head. Maybe that's something that none of the clean meat people want to address. They just sort of want to let people assume that it would be better than eating plants or better than eating a Beyond Burger, for instance. So it was really interesting to see someone say that. And I mean, we had those statements from, um, who's it, Pat Brown that does the Impossible Burger saying that like my product is not for vegans like it's mm-hmm. if you want to eat it fine but i like i think he actually said he considers it a waste if a vegan eats it because a vegan's already not going to eat an animal and he wants the people that would have otherwise eaten an animal to eat his product so i don't know i, I it's not the first time we've heard sentiments of this nature we got to get that we got to get this person to talk to the the author from the guardian and and say like oh no 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 actually <laughs> actually <laughs> nothing that you're doing will ever be as efficient as a vegetarian or vegan diet <laughs> yeah the the last thing i want to say about the clean meat is that and maybe this will transition transition into a different topic you want to talk about i don't really have too much to say about it but those real vegan cheese the 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 biohackers had this very anti-capitalist ideology which was basically you had already alluded to it andy which was they wanted to patent the cheese and then abandon the patent basically to make it free to everyone because they know that as soon as some big dairy industry or someone figures out what they're trying to figure out they'll patent it and then like they'll only be able to use it and they'll prevent other people from doing it so they took this very anti-capitalist approach towards it but that was not the attitude of many of the other people that were were interviewed like a lot of the other business owners i shouldn't say a lot 
a, a couple of the other business owners kind of had this idea. I, I, I forget who it was exactly, but I think one of them literally said like capitalism is the reason why veganism is growing. And, and like, it's not a, a different one said like, it's not bad that I'm making like that I'm using this as a profit or something like that. But a lot of them had like a very pro capitalistic tendencies. And I thought that yeah. that was interesting to then have this person that was the, the stark contrast to that. Well, I think that just really plays nicely to the the point you brought up before, which is that this is a film that presents several varying viewpoints on relatively the same end goal. And it doesn't feel out of place or contradictory because there are just so many different sort of varying viewpoints within it. So, so I appreciated that they had the anti-capitalist perspective in there as well and would not have minded if they had downplayed the capitalist aspect a <laughs> bit more than they did. All right. Let's uh, actually not work our way backwards. Let's, let's go back to the beginning of the film. Fine. So we can follow my, my notes in order here. So, Paul, I have to say that when the film first started, I had a little bit of fear, which was this moment when Mark, the d the director, who we know has already made a vegan documentary and is presumably vegan, you know, many, many years ago, starts off with with like, I wondered what a world without meat would be like. But but first, I wanted to learn more about the treatment of farm animals. And I thought we were about to have this like very cowspiracy-esque moment where you're like, this this guy already knows all this stuff and now we have to pretend like he's learning this stuff and we're going to see these reaction shots of him being like, oh, greenhouse gases. But like mercifully, that section was very short and so I appreciated that it didn't feel like, you know, he he does not, he's just narrating the film. I don't think you ever see him in the film and I, I appreciate that he does not try to interject himself like a main character into the film because... I mean, his narration is very calming. <laughs> I don't know. I like, like I'm trying to think of like, like I, I, it's just not the most engaging. It's like soothing to listen to. So I think perhaps he realizes that he is not a Michael Moore and that he, he is best in just sort of gently guiding the, the course of the film, perhaps. He is in the film. I think every time, a lot of the times when he does that narration, it shows him like pondering on an airplane or something like that. Yeah. I must have blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like a very pondering shot. Like, hmm, I am thinking about this thing that I'm narrating about right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. And, and then it goes into this whole like history of meat thing. And I was like, oh, we're really going to do this. But it, it was actually like pretty interesting. It went further back into like the the invention of like agriculture more than the average, like around World War II, we had a boom and bum, you know, like it, it actually like went a little bit further beyond that. So I did appreciate that. And I found that to be relatively interesting, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I, I'm just, it, it kind of all left me wondering what, what purpose all of that really served other than, you know, cause like we all know, we all know the society that we live in and the situation that we're in and how prevalent animal exploitation and animal products are. And so I guess I was just kind of wondering, like, if, like, what do you think the point of including all of that is? Because they also spend a long time showing just sort of the growth of the vegan meat sector in Germany and like all, the, all these things that I felt like, I was like, this is interesting, but I, I don't know if I really felt like the film needed that. 
well, that that aspect of it, I feel like strengthens my claim that it's almost like a, something for vegans to be like, this is where we're at right now type of thing. Like, look at the, this growth that's currently happening. And these are things that are happening right now. And to kind of provide you with a snapshot of what's going on right now. Like, I don't know if that's what the person and what that's what the filmmaker intended. But I feel like that's the feeling that I was getting in a lot of different points, parts of it. Yeah, and I guess I I would have to assume that the filmmaker is hoping this film will be seen by non-vegans and they'll be convinced to go vegan or convinced to embrace the possibility of a vegan future because it feels like one hell of an undertaking if it's just for vegans to go, oh, that's pretty cool. That's where we're at right now. You know, like like you brought up the the, the plant-based news, vegan 2017, 2016, 2015 films. I, I'm sure, I'm sure a ton of work went into sussing out that footage and editing and putting it together. But for the most part, it felt like it's probably the appropriate amount of work that would have to go into something of that nature versus flying around the globe and (laughs) interviewing all of these people, you know? So I'd have to imagine that anyone making this type of film is doing it with the hopes that it will make more vegans. Well, maybe like you said, it's kind of to show non-vegans that a vegan world is possible. So keeping in mind that the idea that the, what, he's trying to do as the central idea is what would happen if the world stopped, stopped eating meat. Maybe he's tackling it more so from an approach for, in terms of that stuff, like it is possible that this is going to happen. Like that's what, that's the idea that's trying to get pushed forward. And maybe that'll have an effect on non-vegans to say like, Oh, like, Oh, this is the, the trend that's happening. This is the, this is the thing that's coming. So I should jump on board with it type of deal. I don't know. I don't know, Andy. Yeah, no, I mean, I I do think that a lot of the film was sort of trying to play towards this psychology aspect of, you know, I've, I've seen a number of people talking about the psychology of social change saying that, you know, people want to do what other people are doing. And there's, you know, there's the people that are sort of the trendsetters that are out at the front of the pack, so to speak. But most people sit squarely in the middle and there's a few people that sort of lag really far behind, but you know, by, by showing, I forget there's that study that was about recycling and basically they tried a bunch of different flyers to, to spur people to recycle more. And the one that had the best effect was the one where they were saying all your neighbors are recycling. And that's what got most people to engage in recycling. Mm -hmm. So, so I get that there's probably some aspect of that sort of psychology at play just to show, look at the rise of veganism, look at how many people are doing it. It's not some weird fringe thing. Your neighbors are doing it. These scientists are, are really stoked on it. And, I, I guess that's kind of the angle that they're taking. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Andy, I want to move on into the, the India section, which is, sure. which is something that I have seen in zero other vegan documentaries thus far. Question mark. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what are your thoughts on this section? So here's the reason why I loved this section because, and this goes along with, this goes along with like my feelings about, the movie as a whole is that I feel like they, I felt like even though, you know, they, they talked to four or five people in, in this section that were in India, but I feel like they talked to people with slightly different perspectives 
to the extent that from only talking to four or five people, like I, I got a feeling of like, oh, and this is kind of what the movement is like. These are some of the different perspectives that people have in the, the Indian veg community, just as, you know, in the U S it's like, I'm familiar with all the different you know, the different clicks in the vegan movement here, I feel like I got like a little drop into what that was like. And I thought that that was really cool. Like, I thought it was cool to get this different perspective because, you know, it's like this, that's not really a movement that's being represented in these movies. And and if it was, it would be like, oh, and here's this one person from this Indian vegan organization. But we got like, there was someone from the Federation of India Animal Protection Organization. And there was like another person from Animal Equality India. And then they went to like a, a Jain temple and talked to a person there about that stuff. And they kind of had different, I felt like they had different perspectives and feelings about the vegan and vegetarian community in India, because I feel like some of them were super positive, but then one of the other people, one of the other um, people was like, Oh, what we're working towards right now is just trying to stop the growing rate of non-vegetarianism because it's like, I think they said 32% of India is vegetarian at the moment, but one of the people was like, oh, it's like the hip thing now for young, hip college liberals, the liberal types to be like, oh no, I'm, I need to like expand my horizon and not be vegetarian anymore. So they're struggling against that, which is like, you know, it's like the op, it's almost like the opposite of, of what's going on in the U S in some ways. And I, I just thought that was kind of cool. Well, it's not, it's not good, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Well, it, from a filmmaking and storytelling perspective, I could, th- I think we could say that, that was a cool thing that it, that it's, I appreciate that they presented several different perspectives. You know, the film, Paul, up, up until that point, I think was entirely white or almost entirely white for the most part. And so I was, at first I was like, okay, so the first time you get like some real representation of people of color, it's like we're going to India where where a lot of people in the 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 United States animal rights movement sort of really exoticize and and romanticize mm-hmm. India as this like haven for animals and I thought that's kind of where the film was going and then they very quickly were like cows are revered but it's certainly not great for cows here and it's not great for animals here and sort of like shuts down this this stereotype that like india is this like vegetarian haven and animals are treated so well and so i appreciated that they had representations of many different viewpoints and like you know different different depictions there but yeah i mean i'd be curious to know what other activists in india think about their the representation that they received in this film because i certainly do not know enough about it to 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 go oh that was great or that was not as good as it could have been but but i appreciated that i think in this section more than any other section that they were sort of showing different viewpoints and showing things that maybe conflicted. I like the fact that they said that they were exploring this, you know, this idea of banning the use of animals. You know, I think that's something a lot of people wonder. They bring up debates with vegans. They go, were you trying to make it illegal to eat animals? And, and a lot of people will respond yes. And a lot of people will say, no, we are just hoping people will make the choice. We just want people to know that it's a choice that you have. And, 
So I appreciate that they showed different different aspects of that. And they showed that, like, yeah, they banned meat in this little corridor of town. And a lot of people were very unhappy about it. But then they showed the perspective of the uh, the I'm forgetting his name, but the the uh, the, the man from the Jane Temple there, mm-hmm. who was basically like, "It's okay for us to force people to to not engage in these unethical activities. You know, if they're here, they have to abide by these rules, and we don't feel any ethical qualms over f- forcing people to do the right thing." And did you notice this, Andy? And I thought that this was a a honest bit of of filmmaking that like after, after the, the, the guy from the, the person from the Jane temple was saying like, Oh, this is what we want to do. And, and we like, we made it so that we went to the community and we like anyone that had a, a, an industry selling meat, we helped them to like become a, a clothing store or stuff like that. But then the filmmaker was like, Oh, I tried to talk to some of these people and none of them wanted to go on camera. And they even said like a lot of them had seen no compensation for, for changing their businesses. So I, I felt like it was just, it was honest in, in saying like, Hey, yeah, like this is this, this, this thing that a lot of people would be like, Oh yeah, like this is such a great thing that's happening. But, but maybe for those people, it wasn't, it like, wasn't so great. And I just, even though that goes against, you know, what the film is trying to depict, I appreciated that they included that little snippet in there. Yeah. You know, Paul, it's, it's hard because like for our, our show, our podcast, we are in a format that lets us not reach conclusions and have these sort of murky conversations about the ethical gray areas and exploring things and allowing contradictions to exist. And that's not really a liberty that documentaries have, you know, like there, there are some of course that do do that, but for the most part, we expect documentaries to present a particular viewpoint. And I think that's like maybe the power of a documentary is that, you know, like you, some are very, you know, unbiased, but for the most part, it's like, I appreciate that someone has a viewpoint and they're trying to get that across or trying to educate people about that. And so this is maybe the closest I've seen a documentary that I can think of. I'm sure there are many, but that, that actually, is like, okay, maybe we don't have all the answers and we're just going to show you all these people that are talking about how they're handling this situation and maybe they're not being truthful about the consequences or maybe maybe we just couldn't find the examples of people that were compensated. So, so that is something that I did really appreciate and that's something that you know I, I talked about at the beginning of this review saying that I wish the film trusted the viewers more to not have to give us a rundown of what animal agriculture means and all that stuff. But I appreciate that in this instance, I feel like the filmmaker really trusted the audience to, to make their own decision about the, the various viewpoints that were being presented. Yeah. Yeah. I concur, Andy. So Andy, I want to move us into one other, this is, I think this is probably my last like big idea that I have. And this was, the idea of zoopolis and yes that's my last thing as well <laughs> so this was something that i feel like i don't think any other vegan movie that i can remember has has touched upon this and the reason that i i was like wow like this is awesome that this is in here was because i feel like it directly goes against a lot of stuff that we say on the show which is like there are people who think 
you know, we should like if you see like we should go out to a, a deer population in the wild and and treat them of of illnesses if they're sick and blah blah blah. But it's it's generally our philosophy of like let nature do do its thing and humans are gonna do our thing and try to have as little impact on animals as possible, which includes like even things like pets, where it's like phasing out pets so we no longer have domesticated animals and what there's like i think two or three people that were talking about this idea of that's basically the exact opposite and that's how humans and animals can become co-citizens with each other and creating what this one professor of her name was jennifer wolch professor of city and regional planning i, I think created this idea of zoopolis which was basically humans and animals coexisting with each other and I thought it was fascinating and, and because, because what they were putting forward was like the idea of, of asking, is it, is it even realistic to assume that there could be a complete separation of animals and humans? Like we are so in it everywhere that we have to assume we are going to interact. So therefore like we should be planning cities and planning structures and creating things with that in mind. And I was like, huh. Maybe I've been wrong all along, Andy. Yeah, I found this section to be incredibly interesting and very thought-provoking. And, you know, Paul, I don't know if you remember this or if you even read this email, but a long time ago, we actually got a really thoughtful email back from someone saying that they don't necessarily know that that's the case and that they want to push back on this idea that the ultimate goal would be for us to have like no interaction with animals whatsoever. And, and ever since we got that email, I thought we need to do a full episode on this. Like what actually is the goal? Like, like I think of it as, yeah, we want animals to be these autonomous beings that we have as little interaction with as possible. But this, this definitely gives me pause to think about like, what are the actual implications of these things? And, you know, th this idea that domesticated animals should be seen as citizens and afforded rights to protection from harm, health care, political representation, and a, a right to live or a right of residency, which is sort of what was outlined for one of these three classes of animals, domesticated animals, uh, animals who live independently in their own habitat, and then non-domesticated animals who live among us, the urban wildlife, uh, yeah, I mean, it does have me wondering, like, w like what level of coexistence is possible, is necessary, or is not necessary in order to achieve the the closest thing to a vegan world that we could possibly hope to expect for? And so, I mean, honestly, I feel like that could be its own movie in and of itself, right there. And I, I think that I, I. Don't know how I feel about all of that. And I I also think that this would be the section of the movie that if someone was a non-vegan, this might be the section that they go, all right, this is just kind of ridiculous. Like they don't need to be afforded the right of political representation. My dog does not need political representation. Um, so I don't know. How do you feel about that aspect of it? How do you think this would be received by someone who has not done a lot of thinking on these issues? Well, first off, Andy, you said it gave you pause. Are you turning into a dog? Yeah, I've been trying to type on this keyboard, but <laughs> by just mashing the buttons all together. <laughs> well, okay. I, I do agree with you that 
this is the section that people could say like, oh, and here go the vegans again with their ridiculous theories. But it is this story is immediately followed up with a story of a woman that just like lives with a bunch of sheep and just like adopted a bunch of sheep and lives with them. And I feel like that was a very compelling story and an important story because this person touches upon when neighbors come or visitors come and they're like, Oh yeah, you must like you, you must get all like the, the, I forget if it was sheep or goats, but talking about like, oh, you must. It was sheep. It was sheep. Yeah, like using the the wool and stuff like that. Like, oh, like you must be using them. And the person was just like, no, they're just they're just living for themselves, just like me. Like I'm living for myself. And this person said it a lot more, a lot more better than I than I just did. But it was basically pushing forward the idea that you know it's like these animals are living for themselves, and and they want to live for themselves just like we do. And I thought that that the the chronology of it was perfect. Like that these people saying like, oh, animals and humans can coexist with each other, should maybe should coexist with each other. And then giving an example of it happening, of a relationship, which from the little snippet that we got of it appears genuinely to be of coexistence and not one, you know, like one looking after the other, but but not using the other there's no like there's no exploitation going on that we can see and and i thought that that story may turn some people that could have been skeptical about the zoopolis idea maybe turn them back onto it yeah i thought that section that that person with the sheep was possibly my favorite section of the whole film actually yeah um i thought that they were so eloquent in how they conveyed the idea that animals can just ex- like they don't have to serve a purpose they can just exist in their own right and i just i just love that and it was so simply stated but so mm-hmm. effective and just like hit a home run on that and you know they said something along the lines of like they don't have to have any use they can just exist here and i can also just exist here not have any use and that's okay as well mm-hmm. and like like that was almost like an anti-capitalist idea which was that we don't need to be defined by our productivity and how much we can play into the system of society at large and it was just such a sort of like a, a peaceful section of the film and just so just so perfect that I wished more of the film explored those ideas. And and even though I think that this the section right before they were talking about the whole zoopolis thing, even though I think that could be the section that gets the most pushback, I also think that's one of the ones that's the most interesting and mm-hmm. one of the the sections that someone that's coming to this film and going yeah, what does this world without animal exploitation really mean? This, I think, is what they really would like to know about. And it's the, it's the section of the film, these two things back to back, that I was just like, damn, like, I don't know how I feel about this. I have so much to think about now. Uh, I mean, I agreed with everything that the person with the sheep said, but like the zoopolis thing, it was just like a section that just hit you with all these these questions and, and ethical conundrums and then immediately followed it up with this person who's just so eloquently explaining that animals have their own inherent moral worth in and of themselves. And it was just chef kiss. So good. <laughs> and, and Andy, 
and and Andy and Andy, that was that was followed immediately by Gene Bauer, who I th- I think he was the one that said, and I thought this was also very poignant, talking about like people always say, oh well, they lived a good life up until up until they're then slaughtered, and then he was like, but like I want to live like I'm saying that I'm I live a good life. That doesn't mean that you should like kill me tomorrow morning. You know, I don't think it was that was, Gene Bauer. That was the person with the sheep that said it that, was the actually. person with the sheep. Oh, yeah, as much great. as uh, you know, Silver Fox Gene Bauer. As <laughs> much as about, I would like to attribute that that quote to him, uh, talking about selling hot dogs at selling vegan hot dogs at Grateful Dead concerts <laughs> to fund <laughs> farm sanctuary. Um, yeah, no, you, you're right. You're right. It was that. It was the the person with the sheep that was saying like. Yeah, like I say that I I'm living a good life. That doesn't mean you should kill me tomorrow. No, oh, so many great quotes. But but that did Gene Bauer. I'm not wrong that Gene Bauer was after that, and then that transitioned into the farm sanctuary part, which again I feel like like boom 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 the zoopolis into the 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 person living with the sheep into the farm sanctuary parts talking about people people's experiences coming and like being a, a like cold to the idea of this but then being warmed by the animals like i feel like there was a lot of that like that was the section that i was like oh this is gonna like make people question things and 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 that sort of stuff so i i liked that i thought that was a very powerful cluster of of scenes yeah i guess i just wish we didn't have to wade through so much other stuff to get to it like i just wish there was more of that in the film you know because it was so incredibly powerful but it's also very much at the end of the film and there's a chance if someone's just watching it on netflix where they don't have a financial stake in in finishing the film that that they might just check out before that point and i feel like there's just it was just so thought-provoking and not something that we get from 80% of the other documentaries that we have reviewed. And maybe even 80% is too generous. Like 95% of the other documentaries that we review have not made me think the way that certain sections of this film had made me think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I mean, that, that story about the person with the the turkey at farm uh Woodstock there was yeah. like, I was like, ugh, like I almost shed a tear at the end. Yeah. I was like, this is so good. Yeah, there was some like really really great stories and 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 I think that you had said this in the very beginning of this ep- of this review Andy that it's part of it was just like a cluster of stories and and even some of the other stories were good too like the very first scene or one of the first scenes maybe the second or third scene was the person that was like the working undercover at the at the slaughterhouse and talking about how there was like some cows that escaped that were eventually shot by police and how like that became this front, this front page of the news story and how the other slaughterhouse workers were like disgusted at, at the police for shooting this cow. And then like during their lunch break and then immediately went back to killing a thousand cows that day. And, and like, I, I felt like there was some other, there was some powerful stories like the, like that one, like cl- sprinkled throughout the mo- uh, movie. Yeah, no, that that's actually great. I'd almost forgotten about that one. And that person is actually the author of this this book that I keep starting and never finishing. It's kind of uh, just <laughs> hard to get through, but um, for the, the, the content, uh, it's called Every 12 Seconds, Industrialized Slaughter and the Politics of Sight. And yeah, that story was just, that was great. Uh, Paul, 
Mm-hmm. The more we talk about this film, the more I'm liking it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't not like it. I didn't not like it. Like I said, but there's just it. it maybe it's just my expectations of wanting one particular thing and not really getting it. But there really was. I feel like this film could have probably trimmed out 15 minutes and 15 or 20 minutes and been like a, a total home run for me. But I, I my, still think it was overall a, a really enjoyable watch. My one big qualm of the movie, Andy, just a little, just a little too long. <laughs> I know you are always down to cut time out of a film. It, it was an hour and a half, I believe, like almost exactly. Yeah. Could have been an hour and 10 minutes and I would have been perfect with it. Not that, it not that again. I mean, there were a few scenes where I was like, eh, but. Not that, like, you know, sometimes when we watch these movies, we're like, oh, this whole section could have been cut off. Even the environmental section, I thought that they were, like, they were talking to different people doing different things. And I, like, appreciated that. Well, they actually talked to people that were experts on the topic at hand. Like, they weren't just interviewing people from an animal rights group that have been fed the the same talking points that all of us have. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that that was great. Like in a number of cases, they actually talked to the people who conducted the studies that were being talked about for whatever the topic was at, at hand. And, and I really appreciated that. And like going back to this main thread, one of the people that they talked to was literally studying like over decades, I think uh, this one plot of land that was being used for livestock. And then, stopped being used for livestock and this person was just looking at what happened and that is literally what this movie is about is like what would happen if if animal production stopped and and basically this person's conclusion was like oh yeah the the land is becoming like fertile again and there's wildlife and 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 plants and stuff regrowing in this area that was barren before so i think that did speak to the theme of the movie yeah 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 no all right whatever this film's great okay (laughs) (laughs) i have i do have a couple other little things to bring up okay one little nitpicky thing uh in the section on greenhouse gas reduction and they're talking about how uh, a vegan diet would reduce greenhouse gas by two-thirds this is like a problem that I have with a lot of these studies is I'm, I'm always curious what they classify as a vegan diet. And I mean that in that there is the vegan who eats at their local's farmer's market, you know, 40% of the time. And then there's the vegan that only eats Gardein. And, and I feel Guilty. like not all vegan diets are created equal in that regard. And mm-hmm. so I'm sort of wondering... I would love to see a study that's like, well, this is the person that eats tofurkey a few meals a week. And this is the person that I'm secretly talking about you, Paul. Uh, (laughs) A few meals a week. You monster. No, you're not talking about me, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Tofurkey monster. Um, I don't know. It's just like one of those things that that I feel like, you know, they wouldn't want to get bogged down in the minutia of that in a documentary. But it almost like makes it seem like vegans eat one particular diet. And, you know, it's like when people are like, well, what do vegans eat? And it's like, well, what do meat eaters eat? Like, there's a million ways to eat as a meat eater. There's a million ways to eat as a vegan. So I'm just sort of curious, what do they consider a vegan diet? And is it just like rice and beans and, and fresh vegetables? Or do they factor in the environmental damage of prepackaged processed foods that, that require yeah. energy to much more energy, presumably, to create? Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Can I tell you a nit that I have to pick? 
Pick that nit, baby. The one of the last lines of the movie was, "This is the social justice movement of our time." <sighs> yeah, that's uh. And Pe- I was people like, love to oh. say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, white uh, our fellow white people certainly love to to say that, and it's a it's a social justice movement of our time. <laughs> I'll say it that much. <laughs> it, it certainly exists, along with many other social justice movements that are happening at this mm-hmm. very moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think, especially in the time of like Black Lives Matter, it's really ignorant to say that this is the social justice movement <laughs> of our time. When yeah. you know Colin Kaepernick being with sponsored by Nike now is like literally igniting the nation and you know it's just kind of like I, I don't know how anyone can say this is the social justice movement and obviously you know i say that and we we bring this up not as we're not like downplaying the importance of veganism by any means but it just it feels like it kind of erases or ignores other very important social justice movements that are happening right now yeah no definitely definitely did you have any other nitpicks paul no, but I will say this. You had said before, like, oh, I would watch a whole movie on, what was it, the Zoopolis thing? Yeah. I would watch a whole movie on <laughs> the uh, Prohibition era of Germany when tofu was banned until 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I was going to ask you, how horny did that tofu production footage make you? <laughs> Oh my god, there's these like giant, like the biggest block of tofu you've ever seen being cut into the normal size blocks of tofu. (laughs) But yeah, apparently it was banned in Germany until 1990. Damn. And why did I not know about this? Yeah. All right. Well, I think think we'll leave it there. Um, I guess we've already answered the question of who is this for. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that perhaps this could be a film that you could show to non-vegans now that we've been talking about it so much and I'm becoming more fond of it. I think that it it might give people a window into the the world of vegan, of the ethical vegan thinking and, and how what kind of world we're looking for, even if it wasn't as thorough as I was hoping it might be. But what do you think? Would you recommend this to people? Would you stop someone from watching it? I don't think I would stop someone from watching this. I don't think there were too many moments where I was like, oh, no, this is going to send the wrong message. This is going to send the wrong idea. I think it presents the material well. It's free on Amazon Prime if you have Amazon Prime. So that's pretty cool. You can rent it on iTunes if not. But I don't know. I I, I You got that for free? I couldn't find it for free on Amazon Prime. Maybe I didn't. I just clicked watch and it watched it and I didn't do any sort of buying sort of thing did my prime membership lapse no i still have prime oh thank god maybe i don't maybe i don't oh no maybe my uh i gotta look into that oh my god paul i gotta go right now (laughs) but yeah i I don't know I, i i think that this is a good movie i would i would say watch it i would say even if you're vegan like there's not a lot of these movies that we've watched recently that i'm like oh you should go out and watch this movie like i carnage was one that i think we both really liked and promoted and i think that this would be another one where i'm like watch this movie i also want other people to watch this movie because i want to know what people what other people are thinking about this movie i want you to email us in and and tell us what you think of this movie so yes go out and watch this movie 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely just very different from a lot of the other films that we watch. It covers a lot of ground that is not covered in a lot of documentaries. So, yeah, I would say that I would. I don't know if this would be the thing where I'm going to like make a Facebook post and like blanketedly recommend it to all of my non-vegan friends, but I certainly think that it's something that I would encourage people to watch, I think. I think yeah. I hope that we're not just saying that because we're so burnt out on all the other standard <laughs> vegan health documentaries that we're just that we're not just like it's different, therefore good. I hope we're not being clouded by that, but I think that in general, I like this film. Yeah. I'd give it like a beard and a half. A beard and a half out of two beards? Two beards. All right. So it's, it's not great, but... <laughs> well, it's like three out of four stars. I guess, yeah. yeah. You giving it two beards there, Paul? I'm going to give it a beard and two thirds of a beard. Okay. All right. Maybe I would give it more like that. No, I should still be a notch below you. All right. I'm sticking with it, Paul. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let us know how many beards you would give it. And you could let us know that at... TheBeardedVegans at gmail.com. Email us in or, you know, comment on the Facebook, comment on the Instagram. Just let us know what you think. We want to know what all you beautiful beardos out there think. And, of course, next week is the mailbag episode. But by the time you're hearing this, we've most likely already recorded it. So sorry if you did not submit your question. But you could submit it now and maybe we'll remember to answer it in the 10 weeks from now <laughs> put it in the, the mailbag question folder in our little gmail account we'll see what yeah. happens yeah so andy do you got anything coming up you know what paul we have things coming up <gasps> dc this, Veg week, Fest. this weekend this weekend september 15th paul and i will both be behind the compassion company table at DC Veg Fest in Washington, D.C. And then the weekend after, I just added this to my schedule. I'll be at the Harvest Veg Fest in New York, Pennsylvania. And then September 29th and 30th, Paul and I will both be there all weekend long at the Vegandale Food and Drink Festival in mm -hmm, New York, mm -hmm. New York on Randall's Island. That's going to be a big one, Andy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be big. And then uh, I got a, I got stuff in every single weekend of October and many of the weekends in November. So uh, definitely head over to CompassionCo.com. Click the events tab if you want to find out where I'm going to be. And sometimes with Paul uh, all the way through to the end of the year. Yeah. Well, Paul, this film documented the end of meat. But you know what? I hope I will never hear the end of you saying the following seven words. <laughs> we are the Bearded Beacons, signing off. Okay, talking, tapping, talking and tapping. Paul and Andy. <laughs> it is unlawful for a manufacturer to import for profit, sell, or offer for. I read that weird. From vegjuice.com. What are your overall thoughts on this essay? <coughs> Riveting. But one of the other people, I think it's one of the ones that I just quoted, was like a, like a, not social scientist. Is social scientist someone that studies like societies and stuff? 
Uh, they study ice cream socials, actually. <laughs> I was going to say social scientists, the socialists. That's what that is, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are they, Why don't what you wait they... in the car? <laughs> sure. Yeah. And maybe just get, be like, uh, yeah, that's a good point, Andy. Or, you know, something yeah, yeah. To, like an acknowledgement of the fact that I asked a question. Fuck you, Andy. All right. Let's move on to the next section. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I was going to ask you, how horny did that tofu production <laughs> footage make you? Yeah, baby. Yeah.